John 15. Multitudes of uh, well-meaning Christians have desired to produce works of righteousness for God. Spiritual fruit to the glory of God. And there have been many well-intentioned books on the subject which have led us astray. And perhaps you, like I, have longed to have a life that uh, produces the kind of fruit that is pleasing to God. And many of the books that we read on that topic will say something like, just WWJD, you know, ask, what would Jesus do? And go thou and do likewise. But we have tried to just go and do works of righteousness or be holy, 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 and we can't be, and we can't do, and we fail, and we end up like Paul saying, O wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of sin? Well, our problem like that of the Galatians is that we have begun in the Spirit and have tried to continue the Christian life in the flesh. But we, as Galatians reminds us, we should go back to the original intent that we recognize our complete soul dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ to have spiritual life, but also to live spiritual life. And so we saw that last week in Colossians. 2.6 which says just as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the same way you came to him just as you came to him so walk in him rooted and founded and built up in the faith and so the same way we come to him initially is the same way that we grow in him in our Christian life so uh, in, in lieu of our fleshly attempts, which God can never accept anything from the flesh, he has a better plan. And he unfolds that for us in John chapter 15, these abiding truths. <clears throat> Remember that biblical discipleship is really the process by which we are being conformed into the image of Christ. So it's a process, ongoing to conform us to look just like Christ, to the image of Christ. And so the goal of biblical discipleship is not, can I do a Bible study? The goal of discipleship is not saying a certain prayer or being able to pray in a certain way for a certain amount of time at a certain time of day to have a quiet time. The goal of biblical discipleship is not works or service or evangelism or uh, any of those good things that we do. Now, all those things are good. 
but they are not the goal of discipleship. We think that we have been discipled just because we know how to have a devotion and share the gospel. We are sadly mistaken. The goal of discipleship, of biblical discipleship, is always one thing, Christ-likeness. That's the goal of discipleship. The objective or reason for that goal is always the glory of God. We do all things to the glory of God. Well, what enables us to make progress toward being like Christ to the glory of God? Well, we have one of the methods or secrets for that here in John 15, and that is abiding in Christ. Um, in fact, we see all three of those together in verses 7 and 8. Let's jump to the end of our passage. John 15, verse 7 and 8 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. To prove ourselves to be his disciples, which would be to be like him, is bound up in abiding in Christ and bearing much fruit to the glory of God because of that. So, abiding in Christ glorifies God. We have, first of all, Christ's example of abiding in the Father. As, since we're supposed to be like Christ, as we observe the life and ministry of Christ himself, we see that he was father-like. We're supposed to be Christ-like. He shows us the example by saying, I'm being father-like. You see? So let's, let's see how he does it, what he says about that, and we learn something about how we are to be Christ-like by following his pattern. So go back to John 14, starting at verse 9. Jesus said uh, to, to Philip, Have I been with you so long, yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Christ the Son so demonstrated the character of God the Father that to see the Son was the same as having seen the Father. And that's the ultimate goal in our life, that we will so reflect the character of Christ that to see us would be to see Christ. That's the ultimate goal, that we would be so Christ-like. So, so Jesus is emulating that for us. He's being, showing us that example. To, if, um, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father in me. The words that I speak to you. I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me. Does the works. And so Jesus who is being father like. Is saying that his authority. Because he dwells in the Father. And the Father dwells in him. His authority comes from the Father. The same is true for us. If we abide in Christ and Christ is in us, 
just as Jesus said I abide in the Father and the Father in me then our authority is not our our own but it is Christ's authority working through us it's the same pattern verse 11 believe that believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me so just believe me on the surface because that's what I say but even if that's not enough look at the rest of verse 11 or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves that is the way Jesus lived and the works he did displayed the glory of the father and so for us as believers if we are to be Christ like the the lives we live and the works that come out of that life should display should prove that we abide in Christ Verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you. He who believes in me. The works that I do. He will do also. And greater works than these. He will do because I go to my father. And whatever you ask in my father. In, in my name. That I will do. That the father may be glorified. In the son. And so the purpose of this abiding in the father is that the father may be glorified the purpose for our abiding in the son is that the son may be glorified as we demonstrate how great our lord is now part of this being in of the son being in the father and wanting to glorify the father we see in just the chapter before that in uh, John thirteen thirty one. so when he had gone out Jesus said now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him and what is that glory about he had mentioned that earlier in chapter 12 that his hour had now come to be glorified by which he was indicating the death that he would die his crucifixion so his glory is bound up in obeying the father all the way to the cross to, to dying on the cross and that is his glory to do that it is for us for us to glorify Christ is for us to pick up our cross daily and follow him uh, just a little bit more on this John 17 verses uh, 1 and 4 this is really Jesus' high priestly prayer on behalf of his disciples and us and he says uh, Jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said Father the hour has come glorify your son that your son also may glorify you Verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. <clears throat> so the Son glorifies the Father by complete obedience to the Father, doing all that the Father has given him to do, all the way to death on the cross. And so how do we, in the like pattern, how do we glorify the Son? by following what he has given us to do by obeying his commands by living for him all the way to self-denial and self-crucifixion and he is glorified 
by that. Verse 20, uh, same chapter. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. You see the the likeness of relationship, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so when we are abiding in Christ, we are not only emulating what Jesus did in abiding in the Father, but we are fulfilling this prayer request, this, this um, idea of being one in him for the purpose of that the world may believe in verse 21 and verse 23, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. We display the the love as well as the glory of God. So Jesus gives the example of abiding in Christ by his own abiding in the Father. But now let's get back to John chapter 15. First of all, we'll read verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. So Christ gives an example in the surrounding context of what it looks like to abide. And now he's talking directly about our abiding in him. And abiding leads to fruit, which leads to God's glory. First of all, abiding leads to fruit. There are a couple of words here which are significant and really stand out in this passage. One is abiding, the other is fruit. In fact, the word abiding occurs seven times 
in verses 4 through 7. That we get the idea this is a really, really important concept. Abiding, abiding, abiding. Unless you abide in me, abide in me, abide my word. So what does it mean to abide? Well, that word means to remain or to dwell permanently, to, to stay. It's the idea of uh, putting down roots, of establishing yourself, of not being movable. It's, it's kind of like a, a plant that puts down its roots and clings to the ground. It abides there, you could say. It dwells in that spot. Plants don't just walk around. We are grateful for that. I have found that uh, banana trees are amazing trees. They, they seem to be uh, kind of fragile things. I mean, you could, some of you at least, could push over uh, one of those banana trees that are in my, my son's backyard. Bobby, you could do that. <laughs> I can just see him. There goes the banana tree. Uh, but the banana trees are tenacious. They seem very fragile, vulnerable, but they're tenacious. You could pour kerosene on one, burn it up till the whole thing is consumed, and the next year it would grow again and produce bananas. You could chop it into a thousand pieces, and it would grow back and grow bananas. And you better be careful what you do with the pieces. Because if you don't discard them well, wherever you put them, they'll start growing. In fact, if you cut down a banana tree at, at ground level and then mow over it and leave it alone, the next year there'll be two trees. If you cut those two down, the next year there'll be four trees. And they will all grow and produce bananas. They're amazing things. The only re way to get really rid of banana trees is to dig up the whole root system and burn that up. You dare take the root system and just move it somewhere else, it will grow. You've, you've got to completely destroy the root system because it is so well rooted and all of its life comes from that root. Well, that's how we are supposed to be in Christ. It doesn't matter who burns us up or tears us down. If we are rooted in him, we will grow and we will have fruit. That is what it means to abide in him. That no matter what externally happens to us, we are in him, so closely bound up in him, related to him, and a loving union to Christ, clinging to Christ, that is abiding in him. Well, the word fruit here is used quite a bit as well in this passage. Um, verse 5, for instance, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, the word fruit, translated fruit here, is used 66 times in the New Testament. 64 of those 66 times, it clearly refers to character. The fruit of a life. The character of a life. As in, 
A bad tree bears bad fruit, bad character. A good tree bears good fruit or good character. Therefore, you shall know them, Jesus says, by their fruit. Because how their, their character displays what's really inside of them. And we think, for instance, of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. That is part of, if we abide in Christ, we'll bear fruit. What does that fruit look like? Well, a great place to start is the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's a good example of the kind of fruit of character. Or you can look at the life of Christ. What was his character like? What kind of person was he? Instead of just asking WWJD, ask WWJB. What would Jesus be in this situation? What, what kind of a person is he? It's not just what we do, but who we are that's really important because who we are leads to what we do and so fruit has to do almost exclusively with Christian character so if you abide in me then your character will demonstrate it the way you live now there's a there's a connection between these that we need to see verse Four and five, uh, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If you're just a pi picture, uh, a branch of uh, an apple tree that has been severed off. Our neighbors back here just tore down both of their apple trees. I was sad to see them go before I was able to pluck any. <laughs> and just, I mean, it was just, you know, and he started by cutting some of the branches off. But imagine just a branch cut off and laying on the ground. How, how many apples is that going to produce next year? None. It can't produce any, right? That's the picture here. That you, without me, you can do nothing. You can't produce any more Christian character than that branch can produce apples if you are not connected to him. So there's the connection of abiding in him is what allows us to bear fruit. Now, another important word here we don't produce fruit. Notice how he never says so that you do fruit or produce fruit. We do not produce fruit. He's consistent with another word. We bear fruit. We bear fruit. It's a different idea. Pharaoh is a Greek word. To bear. To bear along. It is a word used for instance of... Um, a ship on the water which is borne along by the, the currents of the water, by the wind in the air. But this ships back then, remember, uh, didn't have outboard motors and so forth. They had sails and, and so they were borne along by the wind and sometimes the current. The ship didn't produce the wind, right? It was borne along. That's the same idea of the word here, bear. We bear fruit we don't produce it we don't manufacture the fruit we are conduits of it we are vessels 
of the fruit. We bear the fruit. It's kind of like another analogy. A water pipe doesn't produce water. It carries water, right? So we are like that. You're like the water pipe. You don't produce the water for God, but you are the conduit. You are the pipe that God uses to, to, to carry it along. I, I read a story uh, years ago. I just want to read a, a paragraph of it from, I think it um, shed some light on this idea. <clears throat> After the end of World War I, the famous desert fighter Lawrence of Arabia brought several Arab leaders to Paris to represent their interests in the Versailles Peace Conference. Those sons of the desert were filled with astonishment at the sights of Paris, but nothing intrigued them quite as much as the running water in their hotel rooms. In the desert, water was such a luxury and here in their rooms, it seemed to be free and never-ending at the turning of a tap. When it was time to leave Paris, Lawrence found these Arabs removing the faucets, believing that those magic instruments would give them water at will in their native Arabia. It is only with great difficulty that he finally managed to convince them that the faucets were no good if they were detached from the water supply. Well, I think that's a good illustration of us. We are like those water faucets. Uh, wonderful things can flow through us. Life-giving water to others. Refreshing souls of others. But we're just the faucet. We're not the water supply. And we are no good if we are not attached to the supply. The supply is Jesus Christ. Him living through us. Us abiding in Him. Him producing the fruit we bear the fruit we are the conduits of the fruit and so we put ourselves in a position where we are yielded to him now the i think the only problem with that kind of analogy is that um, and almost every analogy like a parable if you push it too far it will break down i think the problem with this analogy of the water pipe is it's too passive and that is, we are not merely passive in our Christian life, right? We don't just sit still and say, okay, flow through me. But we have an active faith and a loving obedience. And through our active faith and loving obedience is what Jesus works. He does the work. And um, one way to think about this is... Um, um, like, like an airplane that has two wings. One is faith. The other is obedience. Now if you were flying in an airplane. Which wing would you like to give up? You, you pick one. Well one without the other. And you're going down right? The Christian life is like that. It's not just faith. And it's not just obedience. It is active faith. Plus loving obedience. And that's how we work. That's what we do. And as we abide in Christ, we are active in our faith. We are loyal and loving in our obedience. He does the work through us. He produces 
the Christian character that flows out of us. So here's something that I think is a real secret to Christian life that's so simple it's overlooked. That is, don't pursue fruit. Pursue abiding. See, it is so easy for us to want to pursue the fruit of a Christian life. The good things, you know, having the right kind of attitude or um, doing all the one another, another's in the, the New Testament, uh, loving one another and serving one another. And those are all good things to do. But if we pursue fruit, we'll get burned out on doing that. What you do is you pursue abiding. And as you do that, Christ will produce the fruit and it will be natural. So don't pursue fruit, pursue abiding. And fruit leads to God's glory, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified. If you, if you want to know how God, how can we glorify God by this he is glorified that you bear much fruit. Remember, not produce, but bear much fruit by being in Christ. So the objective of discipleship then is, uh, is abiding in Christ for God's glory. When we do that, what percent of the righteous works is produced by God? All of it. What percent, what percent of the spiritual fruit is produced by God? It's, it's all of it, and it's obvious to us that all of it is. And so, we give Him all glory, which is His due. And now, abiding in Christ demonstrates where we are in discipleship. If there is no fruit, that equals no disciple. It's that clear, that cut and dry. If there's no fruit, means no disciple. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine. This is based on truth, not mere appearance and probably Jesus use of this I am the true vine is meant to contrast him with Israel who in the Old Testament was repeatedly called to be God's planting God's vineyard God's vine Psalm 80 and so forth uh, talk about Israel being supposed to be the vine and how they did not uh, bear fruit to the nations for God but Jesus, in contrast to the failure of Israel to be his people to the nations, Jesus is the true vine. In him, the nations really will be blessed. So, being in Christ is based on truth and not mere appearance. Someone who says they are in him might appear to be but Jesus knows whether that's true or not now there's a, a, a distinction I'd like you to notice that in verse 2 it says every branch 
in me that does not bear fruit he takes away that could mean that appears to be in me there's another alternate way of reading this and that is every branch that does not bear fruit in me that prepositional phrase could as easily be taken at the end of the verse but either way uh, if you compare that with verse 6 where the same kind of thing is talked about every branch verse 2 every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away verse 6 if anyone does not abide in me he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned and so this is a branch that appears to be in him but is bearing no fruit for some reason it's it's not really attached to the root system um, it is like the parable of the sower you know there was as the sower went out and he, he some of the seed he that, uh, he sowed on the wayside and that seed sprang up had a little bit of earth and sprang up and it looked good it looked like it was going to bear fruit and yet when the sun comes up and it just withers and it's gone it wasn't really going to bear any fruit and so there are some who may get excited about Jesus for a while but then they're not really in him and when troubles come along or whatever they just drift away and Jesus says that they were not really abiding in him the difference is abiding in him and we note in verse 6 the change from you like verse 3 notice it says you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you see how personal that is but verse 6 says if anyone does not abide in me so not talking about them specifically but talking about a general category of people not the disciples if this is true of, of anyone if they don't abide in him if they don't abide there's no fruit if there's no fruit they get cast out and in the fire so if there is no fruit in your life no Christian character that you can see on a consistent basis you are not connected to the vine and you are lost what you need is not to produce righteous works you don't need to do good things that will not get you anywhere remember on our own we cannot do anything Jesus said without me you can do nothing you can produce nothing of goodness of good works without Christ you have to have him the way you have him is by recognizing that you can't save yourself that you are a sinner but that Jesus died for those very sins. And everyone who puts their faith, their trust in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, he removes those sins and gives you new life. And you will abide in him forever. Once you abide in him, nothing can sever that relationship. Once you are connected to him, nothing and no one can cut that branch off okay now if there's some fruit that's a sign of being a disciple fruit 
shows that we are that we abide in him that we are a disciple of his verse 2 every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away but every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit so the idea is that if there is fruit he's going to uh, produce more fruit that's his his job his his goal for us we don't produce fruit he does so we are channels through which the spiritual fruit flows and there may be areas in your life that are if you go back now to the the pipe illustration there may be areas in your life now that are kind of clogging that pipe so to speak or um, Amanda maybe some people like me I had heart rehab with Amanda who's visiting with us today a few years ago uh, whose blood vessels get clogged by not enough chocolate <laughs> that's what you told me back then right yeah it was something like that and th- those but those vessels get clogged and the flow isn't what it ought to be well if you if you think of yourself in that kind of illustration there are things which clog up your life which prevent the flow of the fruit that Christ wants to produce in you you're still connected to him but those things that are in there need to be dealt with need to be taken out gotten rid of you need to have bypass surgery or something that has to happen and Jesus is the one who does that notice this again uh, second part of verse 2 says and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit so he he does the pruning for the purpose of the branch or us being able to bear even more fruit now look at verse 3 you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you so God does the pruning in our, in our lives without the pruning of a plant what happens you, you get more plant and less fruit right and the same thing happens for us without God pruning our lives we get more of us and less fruit less of him and so but we want if we want to grow in Christ likeness and be more like him we need us cut back and we need more of him flowing through us and the uh, the pruning may sound hurtful he's going to cut something or you know but uh, pruning is only hurtful to us if we are clinging on to those things which clog us up and which make us unfruitful the things which our Lord would consider counterproductive to fruit counterproductive to showing him through us now verse 3 I think has a wonderful word of assurance you are already clean 
because of the word which I have spoken to you. You are already clean. Now, how does God prune us? It's a, a little indication here because you see the word prune in verse, at the end of verse 2 is the same word in Greek as the word clean. So you are already pruned through the word which I have spoken to you. So he cleanses us or prunes us with his word. Prune and clean are the same word. And if you, but I like the idea of using the word clean because it works well with my illustration of the pipe. So he cleans out the, the pipe and the debris in the pipe. You are already cleaned out by his word. That also tells us how is it that we are going to be part of this pruning process. How are we going to be cleansed inside? It is by the word. God cleanses us through his word. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 5 tells us that he cleanses us with the washing of water by the word. It is the word being applied to us that that cleanses us and that is used to prune our lives. And now finally, if you have much fruit, then that means you are, are a proven disciple. A proven disciple. Verse 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, you know that that's true because that person bears much Fruit. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now see how it's changed a little bit. Most of what Jesus has been concentrating on here is abiding in him. But now he adds abide in my word. Why? It's because by the word that you're made clean. But also a few chapters earlier in John 8. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So abiding, staying, remaining in his word, not being led astray from his word, not looking to other avenues for answers for life, but be abiding in his word, then we know the truth. And God uses that truth. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And I'm going to be talking about what that is next week with the, with the following passage. But verse 8 in closing. By this my Father is glorified. This is how our holy heavenly Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. And as you do so. So you will prove to be my disciples. The to be verb here is not to become in the sense that that's not how you become a disciple, but how you show yourselves to be or prove yourselves to be one of his disciples. It's, it's a, a telling truth that we are, we are connected to the vine. He is flowing through us. So abiding is this ongoing, continual uh, staying close to Christ which characterizes our life 
if you are abiding in Christ, it's not just talking about our position, but also our, our focus and the desire of our heart. Now, I want you to imagine here in closing that let's say we had really big windows on both sides of this building and outside there was all manner of fun activities going on um, someone cooking out here and uh, some kind of a fair or something going on here whatever activity you'd like to be involved in golfing or fishing or whatever it is going on out there and all you can see out those windows is that activity well <clears throat> your body is in here but where's your mind? Where's your heart? Where's your desire? It's probably out there. Abiding in Christ is not just positional that, okay, I'm in Christ. It's really more than that. It's talking about where our heart is. If, if you were in here and we were trying to worship, but you were really paying attention to what was going on out there, you wouldn't be worshiping. You wouldn't be focused on what's going on in here. If you're really abiding in Christ, you're focused on Him. Your heart's desire is not something out there. It's Him. Your mind is set on Him and the things above. And when you abide in Christ, you stay close to Him. In the, he is the treasure of your heart and your highest joy then you will bear much fruit for the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage that you have given, that you not only taught your disciples, that even now you are teaching us these abiding truths. And Lord, may we, um, by your Holy Spirit, really begin to not only understand them but to live them that you would be much glorified to produce fruit through us that we would as faithful vessels bear fruit to your glory in Jesus name we pray amen amen God bless you